You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. As I introduce into our sermon this morning, I want to talk about for a minute our vision and our mission. And if you think about a vision of any organization, but particularly a church here, a vision is where do you want to see yourself going? Where ultimately, why, the things that we do, where are we trying to get to? And for us at the village, our vision is that we exist to lead people into reconciliation with God and one another. If we really boil it down, is we want to see uh, what does it look like the things the way they were supposed to be? How did God originally create this whole thing called the earth and all that are in it? that we were made to be harmony with God, and this thing called sin came into our world and broke it and shattered that vertical relation with God, but also the horizontal relationship with one another. So when we talk about this marvelous good news of Jesus, it's not just stamping a ticket how you can get into heaven, very key component, but it's about how are we living out a relationship with God being made right and a relationship with one another. So that's where we, we're growing and where we want to get to. And then the mission then is how do we see ourselves doing it? What's our mechanism to do that? And for us, it's simple. It's transforming lives and transforming communities. That is, every single person comes in here, and the thing I love about the diversity of our church, it's going to look different probably for every single one of us. But the one common thing is we want to see your life changed. We want to see whether you've been in church your whole life or this is like a brand stinking new thing, What does it look like for you to experience who God is? Learn about his love and his grace. Learn about the riches of this scripture. Learn about how God will take the things that have seemed so broken in our life and make us in who we were meant to be. But then it doesn't stop there. He he does that in our lives, whether it's in Sunday worship, whether it's in our groups, whether it's in your own closet at night by yourself when you're crying and praying to God. He transforms us but so that he can send us back to our different communities. So when we say transforming communities, uh, we view a whole bunch of leaders in this room. You might not think of yourself as a leader. That's how we see you. So our best investment of time, energy, resources is to see God transform the people sitting here because there's so much at stake because we're going to send them back out into the places they represent that maybe no one else in this room represents other than you. So that's what we're doing here. Um, I think it begs the question, though, it can be a little tricky to to tell if we are getting there. Like, how do we determine? Because we're not a church that has, like, spreadsheets that checks off 30 items. Okay, now are you a transforming Christian who is now transforming? We don't don't do that, so it's a little tricky. How can we know? How are we getting closer? Um, A little story about my kids. We, We take these road trips every once in a while, usually to go visit family, whether it's like Philly, North Jersey. It's a couple hours drive at a minimum. I remember the last one. We got in the car, and we're driving. We go for a little bit, and then one of my kids I hear from the back, are we there yet? I'm like, oh, yo, seriously? And I'm like, yo, you see that sign? That sign is for Poly High School. We're like five minutes from the house. We, had, we haven't even gotten off Falls Road yet. And, and it's funny, and those of you who have kids, it's like, it's not funny. It's my everyday, like, don't, don't, don't. Um, but, but sometimes when you're on a traveling uh, journey, you don't know exactly where you're going. And it helps to have these signs every so often to kind of remind you this is where you're at. 
Yeah, it might be Poly High School. Say, yeah, we're only five minutes away from home. Or it might be uh, the rest stop sign. Or it might be a city name. Or it, whatever it might be. And, and as you see here, we're introducing a brief two-week series. I don't know if you can call it two-week series, but we'll do it. Called, Are We There Yet? As we look into this idea, um, as we want to be people who are being reconciled with God and one another and have our lives transformed, what are some of the ways we can tell if it's happening? What are some of the ways that we can maybe use to uh, check ourselves and check one another and say, are we, are we growing on a journey? And we're going to look at some of these signs here. Um, and I just want to let you know, these two weeks, it's a little bit of different kind of preaching. We're not like looking at one text and digging into it as we normally do. In a couple of weeks, just to whet your appetite, we're going to be jumping into 1 Corinthians. I'm really excited about that. We're just going to go through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. But we're, we're doing these two weeks here first. So let me pray for us. We pray because we just don't want a lot of good information, but we want God to use this information to bring us into a place to receive him. So help us, Lord. God, in a room like this, it's just inevitable that we are representing so many different experiences. Some of us, we are sky high on top of the mountain. Everything is speaking about you. And some of us in our deepest pits, where it all seems to be silent and dark. But wherever we are, Lord, draw us closer to you. And remind us even, hopefully, Lord, that you would be a, a, a sign of hope this day to show us some ways that maybe we're growing. Point us to ways we can continue to grow that we might know you are with us. So Holy Spirit, take the things that are said to get today and do something with it to honor your own name. Lord, we thank you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I love, I love the city. I, I, I love the city. And here's the thing about cities. You can forget that there are these things called stars. And some of you have been in the city for a while. You might not forget a star is this like bright, shiny thing in the sky. There's a lot of them. Um, and, you know, this, this would probably be like number 87 in terms of why you should go to the retreat. But, I mean, if, if it speaks to you, you get to see stars. Because we're going to be out in a beautiful retreat center. And if the weather's allowing, you can see the sky. And there's this amazing, like, uh, panorama of stars. We can forget in the city, though. But if you think about stars, there's a few stars that are a little bit one, more well-known. And one of them is called the North Star. The North Star. And it's actually, that's not the name of it. The actual star name is Polaris. But this north star, it's lined up. It's called this because it's lined up with the north celestial axis. Basically, it's lined up with the north pole. And the north star, it's significant not because it's the brightest, but because of its location. Because back in the day, and even today, the north star was used in the sky for uh, places like maybe the ocean or the desert where you didn't have signposts, you didn't have GPS and navigation and someone telling you where to go. You look to the North Star to guide you. So, okay, that's, that's north then, and then you can orient yourself around that. And, and just even as we look at our own history in this country, um, one of the most shameful aspects of our country's history was um, the legacy of slavery. And we're still digging out from a lot of the pain and systemic injustice with that. But one of the hopes that you saw out of slavery was there were escaped slaves. There were slaves who escaped the torment and the evil of what they were under, and they escaped from cruel masters to get out. And, and we had the Underground Railroad, which was the path to freedom. But the thing is, if you were an escaped runaway slave, you couldn't just be out in the open during the day running around and, and you know, running for freedom. It would usually be done during the middle of the night, during darkness, and you hid during the day. But during the nighttime, you would go. And, and there was a saying that they had, follow the North Star. Follow the North Star. 
even though you don't know where you're going, even though it's scary and it's frightening and you don't know if you're going to make it to the next day, follow that North Star because you know North is to freedom, whether it's the northern states or Canada. Keep following that North Star and going. And as you see here, that's our first signpost that I want to put before you guys and ask you guys to think about. What's my North Star? What is my North Star? What is ultimately guiding you in your life? As you think about you and every day that you live, what's that kind of guiding principle that keeps you going, that keeps you going into the right direction? And let me look at Proverbs chapter 3, just a couple of verses here. And it's written by this wise person who said in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And again, we're not going to go deeply into every aspect of this, but I think one of the things this passage is assuming, it's assuming that someone wants to have a straight path. Someone wants to have wisdom how to live their life. And I think what it assumes is that a life without trusting in the Lord is one that can get crooked, one that can go off different directions. And, and I think what we can maybe glean out of this, we have to acknowledge whether we are cognizant of it or not, that we are all led by something. We are all led by something in our life, whether you are like actively thinking about it or whether it's just there and you just never even realize, but we are all led by something. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on some different folks, for instance. Um, sometimes, and I'm not saying these are bad. Hear me out here. I'm not, a, I'm not a bad guy. Well, I might be a bad guy, but I'm not like trying to be troublesome here, but sometimes you'll talk to folks say, my whole existence in my life is for my kids. Like, my children are the reason why I get up and the reason why I do everything. I'm like, praise God for devoted parenthood, but if your kids are like the main reason you do everything in your life and everything gets oriented around them and your schedule and your time and every ounce of your money and all your decisions— what I'm going to suggest is that might not be fully bad because maybe you're really walking in line with God as you do that. But I've also seen where people can orient their whole life around the kids to the point of even neglecting maybe some of what God might be wanting to say to a family. So I've also heard people say, and this is usually in like beautiful love songs or love letters or text messages or Snapchats or what the cool kids do and say, baby, I love you. You are my North Star. You are the reason why I do what I, you are the reason why I struggle. And, I, and, and again, I love devotion. Cool beans, if you have an anniversary coming up, you can steal what I just said. But I've also seen where sometimes it might be lined up with God's will, but sometimes for the sake of another person, whether to keep them or to gain them, we will possibly go away from God, what God might be telling us to do to follow him. And, and deep inside, so the goal is not even say a person is bad or kids are bad. It's like the deeper motivations. Ultimately, what is guiding me in my life? Some of y'all who are students here, you're like, yeah, get them. Get those parents who are like just idolizing their kids. Okay, some of us, you're in like school or you're in a professional program. And you might say, Boom. For this season of my life, this is all that exists. I know God's there. I worship him. I go to Sunday. I do my church thing. But ultimately, the reason that, and maybe you won't say it out loud, but if you look deep, the reason that guides every decision you make, how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, how you even pray, 
is to get to that next point in your destination, in your professional journey, to get that degree, to get that achievement. And again, I want to be really clear about all these things. The point is, those are not necessarily bad. I'm not an anti-achievement, anti-kid, anti-relationship kind of guy. But what I'm asking is, are they your ultimate North Star? Are they the reason that you do what you do? Are they guiding you to a primary effect? Are they the ultimate rudder that's pointing you in life? Because what I'm, what I'm going to suggest is that can set you off course. That can set you off course. Because trusting in the Lord, as we see here, with all your heart, it might involve learning to not trust yourself so much. And I know that sounds radical. You're like, well, if you're not going to trust yourself, who are you going to trust then? And what the scriptures are like, maybe you wouldn't even lean on your own understanding. Because if you're like me, I can fool myself real easily. I can think something is like the best decision ever, and I can even find people to back up my thinking. But what this is saying is wisdom is saying, maybe I don't even have the best things in mind if it comes to following a path of knowing God. And we trust the Lord. And for some of you who might be like me, where you're feelers, any feelers in the room, you don't have to raise your hand, right? But if you're feelers, right, you can know exactly what God said. You can even open your Bible. You can even go to Bible study. You can hear all these things. But if you're deep, you're like, oh, but I don't feel it. It can't be true. Why am I so miserable? And I'm not negating any of that. Those are real. We need to engage with our emotions. But what I'm saying is be careful that ultimately that doesn't be the ultimate arbiter as to what's true in your life. Because our feelings can deceive. I mean, I'm just going to be brutally, like, embarrassingly honest. There are some ladies probably in my past, I was like, ah, she's the one. I feel it so strongly. Oh, there's nothing denying this. Man, if it's wrong, why do I feel so right? And then God had this wonderful woman waiting for me to be my wife. I've got feelings are not bad, but always check them according to what God might be saying. And it ties into one of our values in our church when we talk about gracious truth. And in our church, we apply it to the idea of the Bible, that we need to be in the Word of God, the Bible. One verse from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And what this is saying is that the Bible is God's means to speak to us, to train us, to hone us, to equip us, to prepare us for that journey. So when we tell you at this church, hey, read your Bible, it's not just to get more information. It's not even to set good like um, disciplines in your life, though that might be a part of it. But we believe that the Bible is God's primary way he speaks truth to us. That the Bible is God's primary way to reveal his heart, his character, his knowledge to us. In saying that, I, I want to also say this clearly. The Bible is not a roadmap. And if you've ever had a pastor who said the Bible is a roadmap, bless their heart, praise God. They're not wrong, but I think it's more than just a roadmap. And, and I'll say this too. That can be really frustrating to some of us who genuinely want to base our life on the Word of God. Because if, if the Bible were a roadmap, it'd actually be a lot simpler. Because everything you run across in your life that's challenging, you can say, what does the Bible say about this? 
And some people get really mad at me when I like challenge them on that. Like, let's believe the Bible literally. Let's believe fully that it's without error in its original translations. We believe in the, in, in the authority of the scriptures, but to also know the Bible doesn't speak exactly about everything. Because you'll get some people push back and say, uh, no, we believe the Bible. If the Bible doesn't say something about it, then we don't, say, we don't have an opinion on it. I'm like, okay, so, so where's that biblical verse on whether we should be using heroin or not? Well, that's not in the Bible because they didn't have those things at the time. It's more of a worldview. I'm like, exactly. The Bible's training us to live life. The Bible might not specifically address every single thing, but it's preparing us to be people who can live this life, live in wisdom, make right decisions, be humble, and seek his wisdom. Because the goal of the Bible and studying it is never merely just to know more Bible. It's to know the one that the Bible points to. Because the point of the Bible is to draw you closer to the one who is good. His name's God. This God who will guide you well, even at times if you don't feel like it. Because sometimes the effects of the scripture in your life, so if you open up your Bible or if you open up your screen and you read your Bible and you study it, sometimes the effects of it, if you dig deep into it, it's to reveal that you might have a faulty navigation system. It might be revealing what your North Star is. How have you set your path based on different things? So every time I get up to preach, sometimes I think, man, these people are going to think I'm a bigger scrub every time. But it's okay, because God loves me. But man, sometimes I have a real hard time loving people. Man, sometimes I, I like get really impatient with people. Like, I, I know that sounds, doesn't sound very pastoral. And I know some of you are like, oh, I'm never going to meet with that guy. He stinks, right? But for me, I think some of it is I've been burnt by different people. I've been hurt by folks. Um, maybe I'm just old and crusty now, but I've learned to not trust people that much. I'm like, yeah, people can be snakes. There's a few good ones out there, but wow, you can't trust people. They got all different motives and all different inclinations. And if I'm not careful, guys, what I'll do is if I just go out the door and I just go out into the community, that's, the, that's like the lens that I'm viewing everyone through. I'm like, what are they trying to get? What's their scheme? How are they trying to scam me? What's their deeper motive? What's their deeper intent? And then it's amazing, though, because I open up the Bible and I read the Bible and it talks about things like loving your neighbor. It talks about the idea that all of us have sinned. All of us need grace. It, it actually says, you know, dude, you're kind of like half right. Everyone is jacked up, including you. But that's why we need grace. That's why we need mercy. This is why you need Jesus, because God has called you to be among people who will fall short and to love them. Your job is not to criticize and, and, and uh, arrogantly critique everyone. Your job is to love them in spite of what they might be. And the Bible brings me back to my purpose, that God has placed me here with people that might not always be easy to love, including myself, but to love and to be kind and gracious. And being in the Word it reveals my need for Jesus because ultimately I would love to say I love people and it's because I'm a pastor. I don't love people all that much. I need Jesus to love people. So that's why when we talk about reading the Bible, we encourage you, we have reading plans. You can check that out online. We have a year uh, annual reading plan. We, we have groups where we study the Bible together. Whatever it would be for you, have a life where you start to orient yourself around the word and let God reveal through the word what are some of the navigation systems that are guiding you right now? 
And how can the word point you to your good north star? Point you to God and his wisdom and his ways. So what's your north star? A second sign that we have that we want to use to kind of gauge where we're at. How do I view brokenness? How do I view brokenness? Let me read a story that described Jesus and his experience with one woman. And this is from Mark chapter 5, starting verse 24. It says, A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. One of my favorite stories in the Bible of this bleeding woman. And the thing is, we don't even know her name. All we know her as is bleeding woman. That's like her name in this story. But for history now, she's recorded for all of us to look to as a model of faith. And we don't know the exact specifics of her disease, but what we know is she had some kind of hemorrhaging inside her body. And, and according to the law, and we're not going to look uh, into this, but you can look it on your own, like Leviticus 15 and places like that, it describes um, rules and laws of how you can be clean or unclean. So she was considered unclean because of this bleeding within her. And a um, long time ago, when I used to live in Philadelphia, I actually used to do some volunteer work among the um, HIV AIDS community in Philadelphia. And what, I, what we would do is they would pair us up with um, a person who had the disease and just spend time mentoring, being a buddy. And that's what we were called, being a buddy. And I remember through the training for that, um, they brought into the room a whole crowd, a whole circle of people with HIV AIDS. And many of these, had, many of these men and women had lived through like the 80s. And they remember, and they were sharing their story, how when they first shared their disease, how people didn't know about it as much as we, we might not know now. And they were ostracized from their families, kicked out of homes, kicked out of relationships, fired from jobs, told you can't use this toilet, like broken down. And that's always stuck with me as I think about some of the repercussions of being unclean. Because for this woman here, because of her illness, remember, she's considered unclean for 12 years. So for 12 years, this meant that she was cut off from the most important activities of her people. Uh, she couldn't enter the temple courts. She couldn't do what we're doing here and come worship. She couldn't participate in any of the feasts. She couldn't celebrate. And the thing is, her uncleanness, it was infectious. So what it means is that um, people would avoid her. Because if people came into contact with her, if they would even sit on something she sat upon, they would also be considered unclean. So this woman's anguish, is, it wasn't just a physical level. I'm sure that was uh, uh, just debilitating. But she was truly a pariah. She was a societal outcast in every single layer of life. So keeping all that in mind, 
If I put myself in that woman's place, I'm thinking, yo, she coming into this crowd. She heard miracle worker Jesus coming. She's heard the rumors. Yo, this guy, he can heal. He's full of power that you've never known. So she's thinking, all right, well, I can't ask him because I'm unclean. But maybe I can sneak in a little behind, just touch his coat. Yo, if I don't even need to touch skin, if I can just touch his coat, I'm going to be, something's going to happen to me. So she does it. And maybe it's because she thought, if Jesus really knew who I was, there's no way he would want me to come closer. Because, yo, this cat, he knows the law. He's a great teacher. He, he knows the law. So he's not going to want me near him, let alone touch me. Because probably she's been treated like crud for the past 12 years, too. Religious people probably have been some of the worst. Religious people have probably been some of the harshest people in her life. Why would this great teacher then want anything to do with me? Maybe, th- maybe she thought he would rebuke her for breaking the law. Maybe she, he would th- she would think, as a woman in a patriarchal society, there's no way I can speak out like that. He, oh, he's going like, to beat me down. But imagine how, try to imagine how this scene played out. This woman who's carried this horrible burden for 12 years. Ah, she's healed! She's healed! Like the bleeding stopped. I don't know what that feels like, but it stopped. But she can't even enjoy it. Because she's healed. And then she's like, yo, who touched me? I felt it. Who touched me? And she has to be identified. And she comes trembling with fear to the feet of this miracle worker. And maybe she's waiting to be admonished or worse. But as she shakes, maybe she's awaiting anger. Maybe she hears nothing except for silence. Because everyone else is waiting to see what Jesus does. And maybe she slowly lifts her face to see, instead of anger, this gentle, kind face of this teacher who wants her to share her story with him. And Jesus, he makes it very clear, yo, this is not just about the healing because that already got done. This is about me wanting to have a relationship with you. This is about me wanting to know you. I want to know your story. And more than just her healer, Jesus wants this woman to know, I want to know you. And as I think about this story, I've thought about this story a lot. I think it's so easy to get impressed by the healing. Honestly, yo, you, how many of us would love to see a healing like that, right? We pay money. Like the big show, that, that's, not, that's epic. But as I reflected on a little bit more, I think the more impressive point of this story is that this woman, and we don't even know her name. She's not like an important person. But that her bleeding stopped, yeah, but she met Jesus face to face. She got to talk with him, and her life was changed. I mean, she was healed physically, but even more than that, this woman who was a nobody in everyone's eyes, she was an outcast in her world. She came to know the living God of the universe. This woman who was broken, destitute, had nothing left, she heard God say to her, you are important, you are special, I love you, I'm going to fix you, I'm going to heal you, you will be whole. In the midst of her brokenness, she met God. So here's why this signpost is so important as we think about stories like this. And y'all need to know if the Bible's new to you, this is not isolated. It's like throughout the Bible, Jesus is connecting with the broken, the hurting. And it's so understanding as we think about this signpost, why we need to understand brokenness, why so critical Because here's the thing, and I don't know how it happens necessarily, but if we do this whole Jesus thing long enough, 
And some of you have been there. You've been in church a long time, right? That's all you know. That's all you remember. If we do it long enough, it's really easy to get critical of broken people. If we're not intentional about it, if we're in church long enough, it's really easy to start to look at broken people, sinful people, hurting people, and like, mm, man, they, they need to get their act together. Wow. And it, this might all be true. Um, wow, they're, they're just not very close to God. Oh, they're so disobedient. Oh, that's a bad decision. Why, why are they doing that? And again, that might all be real. Um, but it's kind of like being around people who have like discovered a new health routine. Aren't they the worst, right? People who've gotten into exercise and then they look at you like, I, I used to be like you. <laughs> Just sitting around, that, 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 when you could be out. <laughs> or they've discovered a new way of eating. And it's like, oh, I used to be like you. Me and Mickey D's were like this, but now I've experienced nirvana. All this new way to eat. And the thing is, it might be real good. We might even admire them. But do we like to be around them? Not really. Not really. I've been on both sides. <laughs> we have to be really careful as people who follow God. We need to remember where God has called us from. Because I think there's a reason why if we talk to the average person on the street, and maybe that's some of our story here, and you ask, hey, would you like to come to church? Why would I want to be around a bunch of self-righteous, hypocritical, judgmental, nose in the air, look down on me, holier than that? Why, why would I want to spend my time when I could be getting ready for the Ravens game? Honestly, why would I subject myself to that? Because if we follow God, if you follow God, you have to remember where God has called you from and I mean every single one of us. No one's exempt from this. But he calls each of us out of darkness and from our brokenness. Every single one of us. And some of that brokenness, for some of us, brokenness is like obvious to everyone. Like you don't have to be a genius to look at someone and say, oh, they broken. Oh, real broken. I can smell their brokenness. But, but others of us, maybe that brokenness is very subtle. And like no one would know that you're broken. Even if they walk with you for years because it's very well concealed and managed, and you've learned to create a really pretty Instagram filter around you. Like, everyone sees that pretty Instagram filter. They're like, oh, their life is great. Wow. They're not, they're not like the rest of us scrubs in this church. Their life is perfect. And inside, crushed and dying. And I think when we look at stories like the bleeding woman, it's really helpful to kind of give a picture, maybe how many who are not in the church even feel about getting around church people. Maybe some of the things that cause this bleeding woman's hurt and anxiety is the very same thing that causes a lot of broken people in our city, in our culture, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, not to want to get around church people as well. And this is just current events, but man, I'm just so convicted right now Have the stories that are coming out of about abuse. And women, and also men, but I think in, in a lot of narrative, a lot of women who have been abused, hurt, assaulted, demeaned, destroyed, or attempted to be destroyed. And, you know, I think that, that in itself is hard to digest, but the thing that I think is really wrecking me lately is to hear the stories of people who have come to the church and said, this happened to me. 
This happened in my life. I was hurt. And then the response is like crickets. <laughs> or you got to pray it away. <laughs> or you got to learn to forgive. No wonder then that the churches often feel like an unsafe place to share our brokenness, our hurt, even if we've been on the other side and we've committed the acts. That's, that's probably even more unsafe to share if we've done wrong, if we've done sin. And guys, I, I just, just a little mini segue, but if you are in this room and if you have experienced pain of those things, and maybe it's not even this church's particular fault, can I just say, I am just deeply, deeply, deeply sorry. Because in some ways, I guess I represent the church because that's, that's my work. If you've ever experienced coldness, hardness, even demeaning, because you've wanted to be open, you have wanted to share, you have wanted to be broken. And the reason why it's so hard when someone preaches, we need to be open, we need to be safe, we need to be broken, you've never experienced that before. If that's you, I want to let you know we are not a perfect church in any way, but we'll do, we will do our best to try to honor you, walk with you, and be the community that God has intended us to be. Because guys, we need to go out of our way to let one another know that God wants us. We need to go out of our way. Because you would think if some of you have been church, you're like, well, everyone knows that. Everyone knows God wants us. Everyone knows God loves us. Maybe theologically, but experience and our psychology tells so many of us, you can't be there because you're broken. You're damaged. There's no way that this God would want you, let alone his self-righteous followers. You can't go in there. So we need to go out of our way to create a new narrative to say, God loves the broken. Amen? Amen? And, and you know how people experience that is when they experience it from a follower of God. And I think often that'll mean we share our own brokenness. I'll, I'll just be real. When we come here for an hour on Sundays, it's, it's much more comfortable just not to let down our guard about anything. I mean, it is. It's just less complex. You don't have to talk to less people. It's just easier. You know, do your thing. Even drop off your offering. Maybe sign up for something. Just keep it at a base level. It just costs more when we share our life, when we share our experiences. But what I will guarantee you is, and I've seen this happen person after person after person in this church, when someone gets up front or gets in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or is in a circle with a group and they share some stuff that probably is a little deeper, a little harder, a little bit more shame-based, a little bit more guilt-ridden, and they share it and they, maybe they've never shared it with another, you know what happens? people around the room flock to that person because we honor openness. We honor brokenness because we are drawn to that because we all want that too. We want to believe in this gospel that says God loves us no matter what we've been, where, what we've done, what we've been through, even what we've done to others. God loves us and he offers us a chance at another hope. We all want to believe that. And when you share your brokenness, you're giving a lifeline to another person to say maybe this is true. Maybe this is true. I love what one pastor, well-known pastor, Eugene Peterson, he writes about the church. He says, The reality about church is they are not Victorian parlors where everything is always picked up and ready for guests. They are messy family rooms. Entering a person's house unannounced, we are sometimes met with a barrage of apologies. Things are out of order, to be sure, but that is what happens to churches that are lived in. 
They are not showrooms. They are living rooms. And if the person living in them are sinners, there are going to be clothes scattered about, handprints on the woodwork, and mud on the carpet. For as long as Jesus insists on calling sinners and not the righteous to repentance, and there's no indication as yet that he's changed his policy in that regard, churches are going to be an embarrassment to the fastidious and an upfront to the unrighteous. And guys, I want our church to be a living room. I don't want a nice parlor. I want this to be a living room where lives are being lived in. It's a little messy. It might even feel a little awkward. Some of you who are new, you're like, are we allowed to talk like that? Because that's real deep. That's like Oprah level deep. Are we allowed to do that here? It's, one of our, it's why one of our values at the church is no perfect people. Because the village has to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. And you guys have to be the ones that live that out amongst ourselves. And man, I think about it. Man, we've got it like so backwards in our world. We've got it so backwards because most people see church as the place like you have to most cover up yourself. Like church is the place where you got to most hide who you really are. Guys, we have to fight for this place to be the safest place for our brokenness. And, and let me be real here, not to stay broken. We don't celebrate brokenness. But we, 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 we want to be made whole. So we have to start with bringing to God our honest and deepest need. So I'll just say for some of us, we're thinking about signposts in our life. I'm going to suggest, yeah, we want to continue to grow more like Jesus, but some of us growing more like Jesus means becoming a little bit more honest with our deepest needs, becoming a little bit more honest with our real brokenness, feeling safe enough in the community of God to share those things, and also being the person that invites others to be broken with us. It takes a communal effort. So a signpost is we want to understand brokenness deeper. One final one for today, am I moving forward? Am I moving forward? And this is just tied to one of our values at church, growing in Christ. But as we think about am I moving forward, let me read a couple verses from Philippians chapter 3. And it says, Not that I've already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize about the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I love our theology at this church because we have, we're, we're just, the tribe we're in, we have a high understanding of God's grace. What that means, if this is new to you, let's get together and talk about it more. But basically, you cannot earn your way into God's favor. It's God's grace, which means God is the one who does it through Jesus. We receive it. It's a gift. And then we live in joy. But I'll be really honest, my experience as a Christian has often made me question whether that's really true. And I, I hope you're not looking at a preacher saying, well, well, well you're, you're doubting. I, I'm just looking at my life, right? Um, because for me, I, used, I still really struggle. Man, if I were really a Christian, would I keep struggling with some of the things I'm struggling with? Because I read some parts of the Bible, it seems to say I should be over this by now. I shouldn't be having these temptations. I shouldn't still be walking this way. But man, I'm like a pastor, and I'm still struggling with some of these things. Am I even genuinely saved? And then I'll read verses and stories about, on that day, some of you who thought you, and I'm like, oh, is he talking about me? Um, and maybe some of you struggle with that too. But what we see here 
that, that's not the case for the Christian, that there's not struggle. That, that a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that the pursuit of him is over. It's, it's not the story of like some people I know, like their whole pursuit is for the person they want to marry. And once they're married, they're just like in slob mode. Because like, all right, I'm done. I got the ring. We're finished. It's not that. When we pursue Christ, it's a lifelong journey. That a relationship with him doesn't mean the pursuit is over. Rather, every single moment is us needing Jesus on this journey. Look at verse 12 where it says, Not that I've already obtained this, but, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul here is acknowledging that he struggles. There's always going to be room to grow. Thus he presses on. So when I say to you, look at that signpost, am I moving forward? Basically, we're never done. We're never done. We're never, I read all the books. I've studied all the exams. I've done all the partnership. I guess I'm done now. But it's a continual journey of following him. And here's the thing. Part of that journey of following him, it's saying that there's a wrong and there's a right way to struggle. So how do we defeat our struggle with sin as we move forward? It's never by trying to manage it better. It's never by getting more control over those things in our life. I mean, some of you, you've been trying that your whole life, and you're just miserable. You're guilt-ridden. The way we struggle rightly is by knowing Jesus more. So what does it mean to know Jesus more? It's, it's as we see here, by knowing that you are known. It's knowing that you're known. And this is the key to the Christian journey as we want to have you look at those signposts say, am I moving forward every day? This is really the key to that. Because there is a pursuit of Christ. There's a real aspect. We need to run after him. We need to press forward. We can't give up. We can't give in. We need to spend our energy and our life and everything we have pursuing God. Why? Because you see there at the end of verse 12, why? Because you know Jesus has first made you his own. And guys, this is so important to get down here because honestly, I think this gets harder and harder to grasp the longer we are in church. Because if we understand grace when we first come to Jesus, right? We're like, okay, I couldn't do anything for God to give me this gift. And it's, it's you know, God didn't choose me because of what I earned. But the thing is, I think you do this long enough, our intellect can start to say, maybe our psychology starts to say, you know what, but real holiness, it's because of my spiritual elbow grease. The only reason I grow is because I just try harder. What I want to encourage you, and I guess welcome you into here, as much as we press on, as doggedly as we pursue Jesus, we got to remember that we do that because Jesus has made us his own. What does that mean? It means he looks at you and says, You're mine! You're mine! You're mine. Even when you have sinned like the devil, and maybe like two hours ago, even when you can look pristine on the outside and inside, you're like, I, I feel like I'm doubting in every instance. I'm not living my life according to these things. Jesus says, you're mine. You mean even with the past that I bring into this place that no one here knows about? The things that still like, keep me up sometimes in nightmares? You're mine. No matter the things that you have worked so hard to try to hide and cover up in shame, Jesus knows it, looks at you, and says, you're mine. 
Even with all the things that make you feel like you fall short every single day, Jesus says to his beloved, you're mine. And guys, that's what keeps us moving forward. That even in this struggle, we have one who calls us his own. We have one who calls us his own. So as we tie these three things together, we look at this idea, what's our North Star? Pointing to the one who gives us direction. And as we get into the scriptures to know this North Star, it reminds us that we are a broken people. We're a broken people that God loves like crazy. And it allows us to keep moving forward because he tells us, even in your brokenness, you're mine. Because village, our story is about a continually rebellious people who receive favor and kindness in spite of what we have done to deserve it. And God rescues and redeems a people to make his own. And as a church, we want to be a people who walk these things out together. That's what community is. We want to be a people who walk these things out. We want to be a people who keep pointing one another to these signposts. We want to be a people who keep saying, hey, here, here's how you want to keep growing. Keep going in that direction. We want to encourage people and keep doing what's right. But we also want to graciously correct one another when we see what's wrong. But we're always pointing one another to Jesus. Amen. Stand with me. Stand with me. Let me ask you to just bow your head for a moment with me. As you get ready to respond this morning, let me ask you, wherever you're at this day, maybe for some of you, you're, you're part of this church, and maybe it's been hard to ask, am I growing? Like, you're just, you're just doing it. You're just in the mode. Can I ask you to look at some of these things and ask, what's my North Star? What's guiding me? Is it God? If not, What's God revealing it to be? Have I been honest with my brokenness so that I can be a person that welcomes in other broken people? And am I growing, growing, growing each day? And that doesn't mean you don't hit pitfalls, but you're seeking Christ and knowing the one who knows you. If, you, if that's you, your part of the I want to invite you up to the table, get a piece of the bread, be reminded of the broken body of Jesus, dip into the cup, Remember the shed blood of Jesus and remind yourself of the one who knows you, that he gives you the Bible so you could know him. He gives you himself and find joy again. Be recalibrated again. Have, have your navigation system realigned. And I also want to invite some of you who maybe you feel like you're far from God or you don't know him at all and you've always thought this gig is for really holy moly types. The types who come in and they look like Ned Flanders. We got, we got some Ned Flanders. Okay, we love Ned Flanders too. But we love Homer Simpson. <laughs> we love people who maybe the world says there's not much there that's valuable. And maybe you look at your life and you see some stuff that's pretty jacked up, some stuff that's broken. You see some stuff you've disobeyed. You've seen some stuff. Maybe you don't have a North Star. You've been following like the exact opposite direction. And to know God loves you. He welcomes you to his story. If that's you, Decide today to say, I want to know this Jesus who died for me. I want to follow him. I want his life to be my life. And maybe today you can come receive communion as a follower of Jesus. Confess that you are a broken person that Jesus loves. And then talk to someone. Talk to a pastor or talk to a friend who came with you. But I want to invite you up in that way. So let me pray for us. Lord, help us, God, as we seek your face, that we would continue to move forward. And Lord, I want to just pray for the men and women here. Some of us are just battling 
even just getting here today was a battle because every fiber in our being was saying, you can't be there. So God, I thank you for miracles of your grace. For some of us, it's just a miracle that we're here. And Lord, if that's the case, would we humble in acknowledging you? And I pray for some of us who've been doing this thing for a while and we've just gotten the cruise control. Wake us up with your grace, Lord. And remind us again of where we've come from and where you're taking us. And that we would see joy in your word and we'd be guided in you and that we would be the people in the church you've called us to be. So help us as we sing these songs, as we pray, as we pray with one another to be the church you've called us to be. Not a showroom, but a living room. So we love you, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.